Welcome to our day on freedom from the fears that happen when love walks in. <laughs> That's our topic. And um, I'm Dave Rico, and uh, I'd like to begin with uh, this card. Because it's the loving-kindness practice that is the fast track to the letting go of fears that come up around human closeness. So this is a kind of a summary, and you could use this as a daily affirmation. I use this every morning um, as a way of opening to the style of loving-kindness. Everyone have this? Okay. If you don't, come up during the break and I'll give you one. So I'll go through it slowly and um, then I'll come back. I say yes to everything that happens to me today as an opportunity to give and receive love without reserve. I am thankful for the enduring capacity to love that has come to me from the sacred heart of the universe. May everything that happens to me today open my heart more and more. May all that I think, say, feel, and do express loving kindness toward myself, those close to me, and all beings. May love be my life purpose, my bliss, my destiny, my calling, the richest grace I can receive or give. And may I always be especially compassionate toward people who are considered least or last, or who feel alone or lost. So beginning this way on our topic brings us directly into the heart dimension of our topic because both fear and love have to do with our heart. Love is the giving of our heart and fear is the closing of it, the protecting of it. And as we look at our topic today, you will see that all of this has to do not only with what goes on in our adult life, but what happened to us in childhood. So let's begin with um, looking at the, basically, s simple way of describing what love might be about. Uh, oh, thank you. So we came into the world with some very specific needs. I call these the five A's, and some of you are familiar with them, so I won't spend a lot of time on this. But the first thing we needed when we came into the world was attention. Someone had to be paying attention to us and to what we needed and responsive to us. 
we had to we had a need to be accepted just as we are rather than be turned into what our parents wanted us to be they were supposed to be looking at us with curiosity wondering how we would turn out rather than trying to fit us into a certain mold we needed to be valued appreciated we needed to have love shown in a physical way be held be cradled be hugged kissed that's affection and finally when the time came for us to move out on our own and no longer need them so much they had to allow that rather than try to hold us back so that began when we cr- first crawled and they no longer had to carry us across the room we could crawl across and then it goes on to leaving the house and going to school and finally leaving all together all of that had to be totally okay with them when these five are happening that would be the equivalent of being loved and at the same time it describes an environment in which all of you all that you are feels held and cared about so this would be like a what in psychology is called the holding environment these are the same five needs when the needs are fulfilled that's love these are the same five needs that we carry with us all our lives so when it comes time to have an adult relationship we are looking for someone who will pay attention to our needs and feelings now in more subtle ways than originally accept us just as we are that's the unconditionality of love appreciate us rather than take us for granted show us affection sexually when that's appropriate but at other times without it having to be sexual and finally allowing us to have a life of our own and live in accord with our own basic and deepest needs and wishes rather than try to control us when all of that happens it will resound in our bodies as the feeling of being loved so it's the same set of needs from childhood that we carry into adulthood and when they're fulfilled it has the we have the sense that someone loves us how do we know that we love someone else we pay attention 
We accept, we appreciate, we show affection, we allow. How do we know they love us? Same way. So this is just kind of a working definition. Obviously, we come into the world with many needs, but I'm just choosing five that, that seem most connected to the experience of love, both giving it and receiving it. Secondly, when all this is happening, <coughs> it leads to the feeling of, or the experience of, closeness. Also, when these five A's are being shown, we might wonder if they will continue to be shown. So we come up with questions about trust. We also notice that in a love relationship, it's a matter both of giving and receiving. It's not just about receiving. It's also up to me to give to the other person. It's an exchange. In fact, a good definition of <coughs> excuse me, of intimacy, the giving and receiving of these five A's at the same time to the same person. So when it's exchanged back and forth, that's the equivalent of intimacy. The trust has to do with whether you, the one who loves me, whether you will stay with me. rather than abandon me. The closeness has to have the feeling of being with me, but not at the same time somehow smothering or engulfing me. So we don't want the engulfment, we just want the closeness without feeling as if someone's taking over. We want the idea of someone staying rather than abandoning. And we want to find a way to give and to receive. In each of these, the closeness, the trust, and the giving and receiving the fears arise. So this takes us to the other part of our topic. Because when you get too close, I will fear that you might engulf me. When you show yourself not to be quite as trustworthy as I thought, or you don't seem to be willing to stay with me as I go through things, I will feel abandoned. So that's the fear of abandonment. And if it's been hard for me to give because I'm afraid that if I give, uh, I'll have nothing left. 
or I'm afraid of receiving because then I can't be in control of what I'm receiving. It'll be up to you to decide what you're going to be giving me. Fears arise in both these areas too. All of this is totally normal, totally natural, and each of them is completely understandable because we don't want to be overwhelmed and smothered and lose our freedom, and we don't want to be abandoned and left alone. That's our central fear, since we're social beings, and we don't want to give and give and have nothing left, and we don't want to be at the mercy of what somebody else thinks that we need. So you can see how it would be understandable that we have fears around all these topics because indeed there is a threat in each one. How could you trust that the person you're with is so right on that he or she will know how to be just close enough so you still can feel like you have all your boundaries intact? How can you trust that someone will stay with you at all times, at all the times in which you need this person? rather than pull away emotionally or even physically, that's the abandonment, how could you know that the giving and receiving will happen in just the right proportion so that it feels safe and it feels trustworthy? Since those are all questions, and since one of the givens of life is that Uh, Not every person is so perfectly geared in the relationship department (laughs) that he will know exactly how to do all this. In fact, most of us are amateurs on all of these topics. Why are we amateurs? Because originally, when... When the inputting into us about how people relate and how love happens, when all of that was occurring, the two little people, mother and father, who were the ones who were supposed to get this exactly right, uh, might not have been as uh, competent in doing that as they could have been. We're not holding it against them now. We're letting go of that. But we're, we're aware that uh, when it all began, uh, there might have been some uh, problems with the installation. <laughs> so, when all these were given to us in ways that were really healthy, we learned how to give them to ourselves and others. So how do I love myself? I give myself these five A's, same way that I would love others. And if these needs were fulfilled in what is called a good enough way, good enough way 
you can remember the last time it happens. Good enough way, then you come out of childhood with the capacity, come out of childhood not only fulfills, but also the capacity to be fulfilled ever after in moderate ways rather than having to have it all, all the time. So instead of wanting attention all the time, I have received just the right amount of attention in early life, so now I'm okay with a reasonable amount of attention. I don't need the kind of a partner who's staring at me at all times. So, so I receive the capacity for moderate fulfillment. When the needs were not fulfilled, then I don't have the capacity for the moderate fulfillment. I want the total fulfillment. And here I'm going to get into trouble because, for one thing, it's a rare person who wants to give total fulfillment, and rightly so. And secondly, the kind of person who would be willing to give total fulfillment probably has many problems of his own. So, um, so that would be problematic. So, when the needs were fulfilled originally, then one enters adult relationships with a, a sense of being okay with uh, reasonable, moderate fulfillment. When the needs were not fulfilled, then you wind up with a kind of bottomless pit. Just can't get enough. That's what capacity is about. Capacity, I'm, I can be filled with just this amount. No capacity, I can't be fulfilled, so it's kind of a bottomless pit. So the fear that goes with this person who was not fulfilled, it's the fear of not ever feeling fully loved. Because your definition of feeling fully loved is in the bottomless pit department. So I have the fear that I'm not loved because I'm never getting enough but the reason it feels like I'm never getting enough is because I wasn't endowed with the capacity to feel the enoughness experience. So the work then would be not to look for someone who will fulfill me perfectly, obviously, it's, that's impossible. 
without the capacity. Um, the, the work would be to go back and to grieve and let go of all the inadequacies that happened originally. You would have to let yourself remember how you were disappointed, betrayed, unfulfilled. You would have to let yourself feel the sadness that goes with such a loss. It is a loss because you instinctively knew what you needed and you noticed at a cellular level that it wasn't coming to you. So you weren't getting what was coming to you. You feel sad about that part of your childhood. You will feel angry at the parents or parents who so disappointed you. And you will feel afraid that you will never find someone who will fulfill you. These are all totally normal feelings to have, and they're called grief. So when I grieve and let go of the story of me and my parents, then I stop putting all the blame on them, and I let go of... um, being tied to the story, and that's how I enter into adult life. Grief is the, the grieving of the past is, shall we say, the bridge from childhood into healthy adult relating. This is expressed very beautifully in a poem by Emily Dickinson, uh, American poet of Civil War times. And... Uh, in this poem, the word abroad does not mean Europe. It mean, in, the, in those days, it meant leaving the house. And notice how it begins with the whole idea of the grief. A loss of something ever felt I. The first that I could recollect, bereft I was of what I knew not. Too young that any should suspect. A mourner walked among the children. I, notwithstanding, went abroad. As one bemoaning a dominion, herself the only prince cast out. Elder today, a session wiser and fainter too as wiseness is. I find myself still softly searching for my delinquent palaces and a suspicion like a finger touches my forehead now and then that I am looking oppositely for the sight of the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is within. So look at what she's saying. In my childhood, I was walking around as a mourner because I knew something was coming to me. I couldn't put it into words, but I knew I wasn't getting it. So I decided to look outside for the household that should have been a palace, but wasn't. And I kept searching 
And I love how she says, I find myself still searching. Like you, you notice yourself doing this. Doing what? Looking for what you didn't get originally. And then she realizes the very search is how I stop myself from finding it inside. Powerful, isn't it? And, and the fact that she put all this together in this way, it just shows us that people have always felt this and people have always had the same kind of story that we have. What is this story? That so much depends on what happened originally. But it doesn't all have to hang on that because now we have state-of-the-art ways in the self-help movement of working with our childhood so that we can make the move from what happened originally to what um, to a way of living that is no longer tied up with all these unmet needs and lost capacities. We can we can restore our capacity. We can find ways to be okay with what other humans can offer. And it happens through working on our childhood. Usually you have to do this with a therapist, but uh, you could certainly also work on your own. So, we're noticing that what happens to us now is somehow connected to what happened to us originally. So that leads us to the two central fears that come up in relationships. One is the fear of being abandoned by the other. This includes infidelity, emotional absence, or physical departure. So I am afraid I will be abandoned. Or I might be afraid that I will be engulfed by the other. So in the fear of abandonment, I'm afraid you might go away. And in the fear of engulfment, I'm afraid you might get too close. Both have to do with you and the, the space between you and someone else. So here... So here I am, and then is the other one going to be just at the right distance so our hands can be joined? Is that what will happen? Or will I be alone? because the other one has gone away. 
or will I be where I am and the other person is way too close? <laughs> and of course, this, this is uh, something that you would work out in a relationship. And how many people do this? How many people say to each other, okay, how much closeness can I stand? <laughs> and how much can you offer? I don't want you around me all the time. And I don't want you to go away permanently, and et cetera, et cetera. You try to set some ground rules. But if in early life uh, you were abandoned... So if this actually happened, and many of us were abandoned by our parents many times, not in the sense that they left the house and left us alone, but in the sense that they, they might have been so depleted or so concerned with their own issues, especially in their own relationship, that they just weren't present, they weren't available. What is presence? Presence is... You're there as one who is attentive, accepting, appreciative, affectionate, and allowing. When they weren't like this, that was a small abandonment. Many abandonments will, shall we say, uh, input into the cells of your body the feeling that it can happen at any time. So, hence, fear of being abandoned. Or they might have been so controlling and so overwhelming and so scrutinizing of you that you felt you never had a minute to yourself and they were constantly on you. That will feel like you were being engulfed. And where does it go? It goes into every cell of your body. And when you come into adult life, you're still carrying the old fears of abandonment and engulfment, either because they kept going away or they kept getting too close. And it's in the amygdala part of the brain, which is the primitive part that doesn't easily re-establish itself in healthy ways. And it's in, it's in your, certainly in your body. So when you come into a relationship with one of these fears, or both, then it won't take long. It'll happen the minute the romance phase is over. It won't take long for you to start having one or both of these fears. Or sometimes, two people get together. One has the abandonment fear, and the other one has the engulfment fear. So now look what happens. The one with the abandonment fear is continually wanting to cling. And that's going to be scary for the one who doesn't want somebody clinging. So that's going to make him or her run. So I cling. The more you run, the more I cling. And the more I cling, the more you run. You see how that's not going to work out very well? But, but what I'm wanting to bring up here is that this 
fear that comes from childhood that you're now applying, or so we say, transferring to your present partner is a phantom fear. Just as if one leg was cut off and you still feel the pain, that's called phantom pain because you don't actually have a right leg that has been cut off. But you will still feel pain there. Phantom pain. Childhood is over, cut off, but still feel the same fears, hence phantom fear. Now, once you're in the relationship, then you might also have actual abandonment or engulfment fears because it's that kind of a partner who's bringing that up. But everybody comes in with some of the phantom version. Then, uh, if a person actually abandons you, then, of course, you have direct experience of fear. Or actually engulfs, you have direct experience of engulfment. The second reason it's a phantom, these are phantom fears, is because an adult can't really be abandoned. You would simply take out your phone, which knows where you are, (laughs) and you would type in where you want to go, and you're all set. It's not like you're a baby in a basket on a doorstep, don't know where I am, don't know where I'm going. So it's phantom in that sense, too. And later, soon, I will be describing how to work with the fears. But for now, we're just trying to understand them. So these are the two central fears. I'm afraid of losing you, and I'm afraid of closeness with you. And it's perfectly understandable that you would have one or both of these. Everyone has both but most people have one more than the other. And you could have more of one in one relationship and more of the other in another one. The other important part of this is um, that there's also a game element to it. And I saw this described very well by uh, Maggie Scarf. She's a in her book, Intimate Partners, she's a um, psychiatrist at Yale. And this is how she puts it, <clears throat> which is so perfect. He runs, but never so fast as to get away. She chases, but never so fast as to catch him. Get it? You get the game element? So the one who is continually chasing, pursuing, and wanting to grab and hold, shall we say, may not really want that. (laughs) You want to look like you want it. But if you actually succeeded you might find it very uh, uncomfortable. For one reason, you're not used to it. So what do I do now that I have you? 
what do I do with you now that I have you? And the other one running, but he doesn't really want to run away totally. <clears throat> he wants that home base to come back to. Everybody follow? <clears throat> so let's get some questions on any of this. <clears throat> um, we have a microphone, so if you raise your hand. Uh, okay. Anybody have a question? <clears throat> Speak a little to the. Um... While she's waiting for the question, I forgot to mention <clears throat> this is the book I'll be using today. It's called When Love Meets Fear, the title of our workshop, and it's on the back table. You don't have to have it, but in um, here I go more into detail on, obviously, on the topic. Could you speak about eliciting the reaction in the other person. So, for example, if someone has a lot of abandonment, <clears throat> then they may act in a way in which evokes that in the other person. Yes. Um, you might only feel comfortable when you're in a situation in which you're constantly pursuing and worrying about losing the other. So you might train the partner to do just what sets up that scenario. You can see why you would be afraid of real closeness. For one thing, um, real closeness would mean even, let's use a simple metaphor of physical closeness. Let's say uh, someone wants to look very carefully at your face. Any. <laughs> Oh my goodness, going to see all the wrinkles and so forth. So you kind of, you'd rather just kind of be at a arm's length and look a little better this way. Um, you can understand that, that there's something about closeness that does have a threatening feeling. And we just automatically know how to maintain a certain distance with other people. We don't want somebody talking to us like this. So... Um, so it's even understandable that we have some of these fears. And if you really need someone, then um, if that person is the type who isn't very reliable, it's understandable that you'd be afraid that he or she would abandon you. I'm trying to show the utter legitimacy of these fears before we go into how to work with them. It's important that we don't blame ourselves or feel ashamed that we have any of these fears. It's completely understandable given our background and given who we are as humans. Okay, somebody else had a... Yeah. yeah um, well, I have a little theory and I wanted to run it by you and there's yeah. questions implicit. Um, the Emily Dixon the poem about the search. It's the search that is ultimately the wounding. Yeah. Um, so as I've gotten older and I've looked back on my life, I realize there are so many missed opportunities for cultivating the, the, the skill of gratitude with respect to my parents. And that I feel more like 
now the search, that wounding, that search was something that I think was existent in my my mother specifically, and that it's really just my part in the evolution of our family karma to now work with that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's less of that I didn't get those five A's. Um, I mean, obviously, in some ways, if she had that search in herself, it played out in all of her relationships. But I think it's less of looking at those five A's and it's more of looking at um, um, what I did get of those five A's. Mm. Yes. Yes, and also you could have um, received them from other family members, like older brother or sister, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Doesn't all have to be from parents. Because nature met, nature thought, uh, well, nature imagined using speaking with personification that we would be brought up by a whole village. She didn't ever think oh, it's going to be a single parent or just two parents. Mm-hmm. So the kind of needs we have actually required a bigger group to receive from. So that's part of the problem also. This is why I say don't hold it against them. Uh, Way in the back there. Because you just wind up being stuck. And blaming them is like hitting the tar baby. Could you uh, expound more on the relationship of giving and receiving relative to abandonment and engulfment? Um, It's more about um, love is given (coughs) and received. And if something happened to you, that made generosity dangerous. If I give what I have, I'll have nothing for myself. Or if the ones who were giving to you were taking advantage of you or overwhelming you, then you will have a fear of receiving. So let's say the fear of giving could show itself simply with respect to money. Can't spend, can't earn, can't lend, can't borrow, can't donate. All of that is is under the topic of giving. So the kind of a prospective partner who has problems in any of the areas I just mentioned, will probably have, part, have problems with intimacy because there's something about his giving muscle that uh, is damaged. Or can't receive, can't let you give to me. I have to always be the one who's doing the giving. Any problems in either one of these will show itself in the realm of love, since love is giving and receiving. It's a means of exchange. So when there's a 
a problem, um, even in practical ways, with this whole thing of giving and receiving, then there will probably be some type of problem in the relationship. Okay, any one final question before we go on? To <clears throat> right here. Uh, what gets in the way of the capacity to receive is that you're the one deciding what you will give, when you will give it, how you will give it. That puts me in a position of not being in control. That's one problem. Secondly, I want to look like the one who's always doing the giving, and I don't need people to give to me. Either one of those attitudes will enter into the experience you have with a partner. Because in both instances, you have been disabled. Fully able to be in a relationship is fully able to give and fully able to receive. Damaged in some way so that I can't fully give or can't fully receive, that's the equivalent of I have a disability in the realm of intimacy. This was supposed to be admitted around the fifth date. <clears throat> By the way, you, know, you notice I'm kind of cheap, like when we go to a restaurant? Uh, that's me. That's what you can expect. I'm afraid of giving. I'm not generous. Do you still want me? <laughs> That's what was supposed to be said. <laughs> I have a question about uh, discipline, fierce courage, and boundaries within the context of acceptance and allowing. If you could, because uh, there are some ways where acceptance and allowing could feel to some people like, oh, that means you can have anything, right? So just healthy. How to, how to, do you get what I'm asking? Uh, you mean yeah. what are the limits on the? No, about, just about setting limits and having boundaries and being disciplinary or like if it's a parent-child or setting boundaries with a partner within the context of the five A's and what you're talking about in terms of the, the love and the giving and receiving. Okay, that uh, is, I'll start with that right after the break. Okay, because that's a bigger topic. Um, and this is one of the ways of working with fear, obviously, is to protect your boundaries. So let's take a 10-minute break, and then we will return. <clears throat> you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.